welcome to the Taking the Charge podcast with you from Regensburg, Germany. I'm David Hein. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for your time. There's so much unbelievable podcasting out there, and it means so much that you take your time, take your energy, uh, and uh, invest it in listening to the show. Uh, it's uh, amazingly appreciated. Um, you are here on the Taking the Charge uh, Substack uh Check out takingthecharge.substack.com, and we do a weekly podcast um, about international basketball. That's what you're listening to now. There's also the Taking the Charge Prospects podcast, where each week we talk to a young prospect uh, in the world of international basketball. This past week, we talked to Yannick Nsoa uh, of Unicaja Malaga, Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, forward playing uh, there in the Spanish League, and... Uh, that is part of the paid subscription to take to taking the charge. And uh, if you want to become a subscriber, uh, just click on the subscribe now button. Um, if you feel that the price is a little too much, just drop me a message. We can do something about that. Uh, but I think it's a great um, a great uh, uh, project uh, that includes the full archives of the Talking Talent podcast, where uh, the scouts. Uh, that I have put together uh, and uh, teamed up and into an army, I like to call them. And uh, we talk about uh, uh, three prospects, uh, each of them each week. And uh, you get the full archive of that. Uh, they are available for free for two weeks and then uh, put them behind the paywall. Um, and just uh, also on the Substack uh, for free then, you know, regular content uh, the Gone Traveling show where we look at uh, the Euro Cup, Japanese B-League, Euro League. Uh, there's also the Friday, in case you missed it, uh, just plenty of basketball stuff out there. Um, so subscribe and uh, and enjoy it all. Uh, want to, uh, every week we, here on this show, we kind of uh, talk about three su- subjects that we're watching. Uh, and, and this week, the uh, story we're watching is... Uh, it was, it was a, it was you know pretty decent news that uh, John Holland signed with uh, Unix Kazan uh, in the in the Euroleague, um, but uh, but an, another fact was the fa- was uh, according to the super agent uh, Mishko uh, Raznatovich uh, says it's the first time in history of Euroleague that an agency uh, his uh, Bio Basket uh, has managed to sign players to all eighteen Euroleague teams in one season. Uh, I just thought that was uh, pretty interesting um, that uh, an agency uh, uh, that uh, is really the, the super force here in uh, European basketball, mainly European basketball, but really basketball throughout the world. And uh, so they have a player in all 18 teams in the early this season. So uh, just something I uh, thought was uh, pretty curious. Uh, let's move to the player, young player, um, young player of the week. And I'm going to go to Spain, and uh, I'm going to say that uh, 2002-born Khalifa Diop uh, there with um, with Herbalife Gran Canaria, huge game in the Euro Cup game against uh, overtime win against uh, Valencia, Spanish rival Valencia, and uh, had 18 points, nine rebounds in 23 minutes, and you know really came up with a lot of big plays both in the fourth quarter and overtime. And you know, he's just showing more and more that, that he can really be relied upon, you know, also in, in, in big moments. 
he had uh, had had collected 11 points and five rebounds in his previous Sierra Cup game that was against Prometheus uh, Patras, and has also um, uh, scored in double figures in four games in the in the Spanish ACB. So you know, really uh, stepping up his game. Uh, next is the upcoming event we're watching. Uh, this weekend, starting Friday, actually, is the Intercontinental Cup, and that is taking place in Egypt, and that is a uh, four-team tournament, uh, Friday, Saturday, uh, semifinals Friday, Sunday uh, are the uh, is the final, and uh, uh, that is Flamengo, uh, the um, basketball champions league, America's champion uh, from Brazil, um, Areda San Pablo Burgos, the two-time reigning champions of the basketball champions league. Uh, Lakeland Magic, which was the G League uh, champion, and then Zamalek, uh, f- the uh, the uh, African champion, and so they're going at it there in in the uh, Egyptian capital. Um, so it should be a, a pretty uh, entertaining uh, event. So that's uh, what the upcoming event that we're watching. Uh, let's get to a uh, sneak peek of the prospect interview. Uh, every, like uh, uh, every week, we uh, offer just a little glimpse of of uh, the of what you can get uh, with the prospects podcast. Uh, so here is a sneak peek of the interview we did uh, with Yannick and so what. So so far, you're you are averaging one point seven points, one point five rebounds. How, how do you think you're doing? uh in in helping the team i think i'm doing so bad you know even to see the statistic the statistic talk you know say one sorry, sorry then <laughs> yeah no 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 it's not that is is i think it's the reality we, we you know you you can't you can't change this is the reality and I think I uh, I don't play well. That, that is the, the truth. And I have to to be more aggressive to help more my team. It's really that is the new. No, some people don't understand uh, because like last year I played Eurocap, I was good, you know. And this year is I think is you know is I I can say is the reality of that job just. Sometimes no, if you don't, you don't, if you you're not ready, and you can uh, face you know the big reality like. And for me, I'm so disappointed too with this statistic. I don't like that, and uh, the only thing I can do, and I keep working to help more my team, even not to you know to make like the statistic like like 20 point on uh, just to that I think that hurt me a lot is like uh in the in the that six six game we play already I think maybe I felt I I didn't I didn't play well I didn't play well I didn't be in the position to help my team to win. I think if I play like that and the point I can score, I can, I can, and after I can score. And for this, just I, I prepare myself to just to start, you know, to start strong the next round, to be aggressive and the most important to, to help my team to win.
why why do you think that you're not producing as much as you would hope? Does mm, that's a tough question. I I can say like in the last game, just I didn't play too well. That's too maybe some game the coach give me opportunity i do some mistake and after he punish me that is the you know his, his job i can say nothing and other thing i say some game i was good but um you know i was like in a little pressure you know thinking also to thinking to score to thinking to to you know to try to do the thing in the precipitation you know and for this reason i think you know i was confused i was confused sometime in the game and also my team helped me a lot but i when i watch i you know after the game when I, you know, I rewatch the games and I see like, like our I, I didn't do, do nothing and like I wasn't there, and for this that I try to understand to you know, to to keep going and to you know to 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 start to 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 think that is i can say it's not me like to to be my version and to to get better okay really great fantastic um uh a long interview uh but um really worth it uh, really uh you know takes an honest look at a lot of different things and uh, so really happy to have gotten him on the show. Um, let's move to actually another long interview, um, and uh, but another one loaded with goodness. Uh, it's in, with a um, good basketball buddy of mine uh, that we've known for a few years and uh, on the um, basketball scouting circuit, um, uh, Danny Mills, who is actually now the GM down at uh, uh, the Perth, Wildcats at the Australian NBL actually had a chance to go back home uh, to Australia, which is where he's from, Perth, and uh, is now the GM down there. I mentioned the the scouting uh, world. Uh, he was a scout with the Philadelphia 76ers out here in Europe for a few years, and actually in Germany, and uh, ran into him uh, more than a few times, and uh, I just enjoyed, uh, always enjoyed his his company and. And uh, when he, you know, got the job down in, in Perth, I definitely wanted to have him on the show. Also, too, because he's a, he's really a role model for a lot of people, you know, a scout in Europe who then, who then uh, you know, jumped the ranks and, and is now a GM, which is, uh, you know, a goal for a lot of of these young uh, young scouts who are, you know, you know, watching game after game after game and, and, and uh, taking in all of the information. And so this is uh, a long chat to talk about various uh, different things. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Again, uh, please subscribe to the Substack, uh, whether that's just the f- quote, just the free subscription, which is also fantastic, uh, or also the paid subscription where you get the tra- Taking the Charge Prospects podcast and the full archives 
of the Talking Talent podcast, um, but uh, definitely at least the uh, the talk the taking the charge um, Substack. So uh, the free subscription. So go check that out. Uh, without further ado, here's the interview with Danny Mills. Enjoy it, and we will talk to you next week. All right, on the podcast this week is uh, someone I haven't seen in a while. Um, and, uh, someone I've communicated with for, for actually quite a few years and it's good to, to chat, um, Danny Mills, the, the new general manager of basketball operations of the Perth Wildcats. Danny, thanks for uh, coming, coming on. Hey, David, thanks for having me, mate. It's, uh, yeah, you're right. We've, uh, haven't seen each other for a few years, but we've definitely, uh, spent a lot of time together in many places around the world. It seems like. Talking, talking youth hoops, um, and we're going to talk uh, quite a bit of youth hoops and, and, and the whole uh, scouting world, etc. Um, but I did want to, I did want to take advantage uh, uh, of this opportunity to, to to talk to you a little bit about uh, where you're at now, how you got there, um, and um, and uh, so I, I guess let's kind of first start off with so you're you're with the Perth Wildcats, um, and you guys are right now seven and two. Uh, half game behind Melbourne there in the in the NBL uh, new GM of, of basketball operations uh, as we said maybe just uh, your, your thoughts you guys have a new coach as well um, uh, maybe the the state of the team how you how you think you guys are doing this year so far yeah so it's been um, a new obviously a new role for myself I took this in Early August, after being with the Sixers for seven years, um, was a move home. I'm from Perth, so exciting in in many ways for that and kind of full circle, to be honest, after leaving Perth about 17 years ago to go to college, play college basketball, and then work my way up and then come back into this role with Perth is um, kind of kind of surreal, um, to be honest. But yeah, it's been really exciting last six months, obviously challenging like everything is at the moment with COVID, um, yeah, uh, we the first order of business after getting hired into this role was hiring a new head coach. We, Trevor Gleason, who was here for I th- believe eight or nine seasons, um, had won five championships. So Perth has been very successful. They've been to the playoffs thirty five straight years, um, which is an incredible when you when you sit back and think about that. Uh, the the kind of the consistency of the club <clears throat> to have that sort of success. And so we, um, yeah, we went on the global search with our ownership group. Um, to go find the new head coach and um, was an awesome experience for myself stepping into this role to kind of lead that um, with our group. And we are very fortunate to, uh, to be able to hire Scott Morrison um, into, into the role here um, at Perth. And he's been absolutely incredible. Um, we already had a very strong staff in place and he inherited quite a, quite a big group of um, former staffers that had been here with, with Trevor, which was, um, which was, which is great as well. So we have a, a a mix of Scott and a uh, an associate head coach in Mike Kelly, who was a former player and a former head coach at the Cairns Taipans. And so we've got some experience at the top there. And then we've inherited um, some fantastic people in our medical department, um, some assistant coaches, a video coordinator. Um, so, yeah, in terms of that, um, that's kind of where where it started and then obviously building the roster and obviously Perth had some success. Um, you know, Bryce Cotton has been a staple here for the last five seasons, uh, three-time league MVP, three-time, three-time um, championship winner. So um, being able to come into a role where you have a player like that to build around uh, makes your life a lot easier as a general manager. Um, and obviously we have other players that have been here for years. Jesse Wagstaff, um, he's on six championships. He's played 
up in two more games, he's got up to 400 for the club, which is unbelievable. Six titles. We're hoping to get him a seventh. Uh, and then you've got a, another bunch of, you know, Australian talent around him, Mitch Norton, Todd Blansfield. And then we went out and, you know, um, in, in, a, in the Australian league, you can uh, sign three foreign players, three, three imports. So Bryce is one of them. And then we signed Vic Law, who's been incredible. And uh, this season to date and Michael Frazier, who's, um, Who's uh who we brought in has had a strong uh, strong resume. Played at the University of Florida in the Final Four, won a G League titles, played in the NBA, and so um yeah, so that's kind of where it started. Um, challenges getting myself and Scott into the country down there. So preseason was quite disrupted. Um, was pushed back by the league due to COVID restrictions. Um, had a three week preseason in Tasmania, came back home, had five home games uh, in a row, just so we could get them in before our, we knew our borders in Western Australia were going to shut. And now we're uh, nine games into the season. Like you said, we're seven and two um, and we're on the road indefinitely. So it's not really road or away uh, road or home games anymore. It's just games because um, we aren't in Perth. We aren't playing in Perth at the moment and we're unsure when we'll be back. So uh, it's challenging, but we have a resilient group. They're doing fantastic um, to stay together through this tough time, especially for guys that have families and, and children back in Perth and, and can't get back um, yet. But um, no, to date, that's where we're at. And we're just taking it day by day, week by week. You, you mentioned that you're from Perth and you, you know, you played in juniors there, Wanero and Wilton and, and uh, also saw somewhere that, you know, uh, you, you know, you were a Wildcats fan growing up. Um, maybe, what it means to take over the team and, and some of the guys that you remember uh, watching um, as a, as a, as a young, as a young Danny uh, there in Perth growing up. Yeah. It's um, yeah. Like, like I said, to, to be in this role now is just something I never would have ever envisioned. Um, but it's, but it's incredible. And in terms of like, yeah, I grew up, I started playing basketball at 12, 10 or 12 when I was in Perth and kind of grew to love the game and um, played all my you know, representative basketball at Wanneroo and then Williton and state state teams with Western Australia. Um, and then as, as I went through the pathway as a, as, a, as a good junior player, you know, I got the chance to represent Australia at a junior level at the Albert Schweitzer tournament there in, in Mannheim, which was an uh, unbelievable experience for, for myself and went to the Australian Institute of Sport, the AIS program, which is now the Centre of Excellence in Canberra. Um, and, and before I went to college, I got the chance to be a practice player with the Wildcats in 2000. 2003 so um yeah growing up i was i was around the wildcats they were the biggest ticket in town in terms of basketball for sure um andrew vlahov ricky grace james crawford scott fisher aaron traher i mean they've had an unbelievable history of just um fantastic australian and american players and a lot of the american players have stayed and and played at the club for multiple years uh if not their whole career like a ricky grace and so um just yeah, Perth in general has had a, a has been a very well run club, very professional, um, and you know to see where it's at now. I mean, we we play an arena in Perth, the RAC Arena, uh, fourteen thousand seat capacity arena, which they pack out. We have over eleven and a half thousand season ticket holders, and so the the atmosphere um, when the the Red Army, which is what we call our fan base, come out, it's um, it's honestly one of the best things I've seen in the world. Like I, I feel fortunate I've worked in the NBA, both in Europe, um, scouting globally, and then and then in the US. And obviously you have 
awesome fan bases in in European capitals and and different and different parts different European leagues and obviously the college scene is is really cool but Perth has a mix of that they have a really fanatical fan base uh all in red 14,000 of them every home game and the support is unbelievable so to come back to a club like this that's in a very good um space both from a basketball standpoint and then both from a business financial standpoint with new ownership in SEN um yeah, it's kind of a dream come true. It's it's been an awesome six months for me, learning a lot, and um, couldn't couldn't ask for anything better. Uh, you know, every every player, you know, growing up, they have role models. Um, you know, uh, and you did a little bit of coaching as well, and uh, here and there, and 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 then also kind of uh, role models as, as a scout. Um, in, in your position now, maybe maybe who are some of the guys that you kind of you know, look back and, and took his role models, uh, you know, maybe asked about, you know, certain things here or there, uh, to prepare you for, for this position. Yeah. Like I never thought, I guess when I first got into basketball after college, after playing, I was, uh, is in the sales job down in San Diego, did that for a few years and then knew that wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And so I got into coaching and at the, you know, everyone starts somewhere and I was definitely started at the bottom um, volunteer assistant at the University of San Diego. And then, like you said, got to coach at, in Italy. So that was an unbelievable experience. My wife was a nurse in the U S Navy. So we moved to Sicily, Italy um, and got to um, travel, travel over there in Europe, coach, coach in Liga Due. So second division professional league in, in, in Italy, which was unbelievable. Um, such a cool experience. And I think that's when I first kind of, grew the appreciation for the professional game and kind of when I first started to get a sense that the NBA had quite a global presence in terms of their scouting and something that I was kind of more maybe um, intrigued in as opposed to the coaching although I did enjoy coaching and being on the court and around players um, and there were a lot of guys that that helped me get a foot in the door and um, and then you know as I grew my network you know um, I got hired at, at Philadelphia through Sam Hinkie, uh, worked alongside uh, guys like Vince Rosman, um, Phil Jabor. I mean, multiple people that, yeah, I've, I've got the chance to uh, to learn from and then just kind of see how, how, how the front office of an NBA team functions and how different, how, how layered is it, how layered it is in different, um, different organizations and every organization is different. And I went through multiple changes uh, in Philadelphia. I got hired, like I said, by Sam, 2014 and when I finished this year in 2021 I'd been through five GMs in seven years so um, awesome experience to learn from that many people and and take different things from different people um, from different leaders uh, in those positions and so I've been very fortunate in that sense um, and so yeah it's it's it there's been a lot of people that I've um, had touch points along the way and have helped me um, and yeah my my whole thing now is just to keep growing and learning and, and, and give back because there's a whole generation of, of, um, of, of younger guys now that are trying to get a foot in the door and it's not easy. The NBA is not, um, it's not really something that you can just easily get into. Uh, it's very network based connection based um, and you got to work your way up and it takes years, if not decades <laughs> to get in. And then it's even harder to stay in the business. And so I feel very fortunate 10 years after I started at the University of San Diego that I'm still in the business and especially feel extremely grateful and, and fortunate to be in a position like this, um, helping run a club like uh, as prestigious as Perth. 
You know, one of the things that I think, you know, if I were to ever own a club, um, you know, and, 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 and really run it and whatnot, you know, I, 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 I've, you know, every, all the travel that all these players do and, and, and how, how unhealthy the, uh, the, 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 the sport is, um, I, I, I really would invest in, in like a nutritional expert, a cook, a professional cook, um, that would, you know, be there to help train, uh, the players, wives, partners, whatever, um, a sleep expert to help, you know, map out travel and stuff like that. I would invest the, the extra little money here and there for the well-being of my, uh, of my players. Um, I know one thing that you guys, that, that you've done is, is added a, a full-time physiotherapist. Um, and I just wondering what, what was the, what was the idea behind that? Yeah. I mean, to your point, I 100% agree. Like if you're going to go spend <clears throat> a few million dollars on your roster every season and you sign them thinking, well, hoping that they're going to be available every single game because that's what you're paying them for. Um, you got to keep them on the court and keeping them healthy and managing their loads is, is a huge part of that. And, Obviously, Australia is quite well advanced in, in, in that part of sports science. And it's, it's trickled into, you know, um, European soccer and um, American pro sports. And, and Australia is a, a leader in that. And it started with the AFL, for sure, the Australian Football League. And um, at Perth, we've been very lucky to be well, well off financially, but also very smart uh, investing in those sort of resources for our players. And so um, for us to have a full-time physiotherapist that is with us, only with us full-time, uh, is a huge advantage in our league, in, in my opinion. Uh, Daniel Webster is fantastic at what he does. And he's, um, yeah, I mean, that's just, just gives us a leg up on the competition because he's a, he's a con he's, his consistency day-to-day -day with our playing group, um, whether they're injured or not, and the prehab and the rehab that he does with them uh, just goes a long way. And, you know, we have a fantastic physical performance manager in Josh Kavanagh. He's been here for eight or nine years now. Uh, he's been through all the success with those championship years and um, having him around the group and what he does day to day uh, to keep guys safe and healthy. And honestly, <clears throat> during this COVID year uh, or two years, like that's huge. Like those guys are put under so much extra stress and pressure that they didn't have, they didn't even know that they were going to be putting into that two years ago. No one knew what COVID was. Right. And two years later, it's just normal and the extra workload and the, the testing protocols and, all of that stuff um, that they go through and do day to day with our group to make sure they're safe and healthy is, is massive. Um, and so for us, that's definitely a backbone of our, of our basketball operations department here at Perth is, is having a, uh, a fantastic medical department. And then to that, adding on the nutrition, you know, we have nutritionist consultants, we have a sports psych, we have team docs, obviously, and all of them work in collaboration with our, with uh, Josh, our physical performance manager, and kind of uh, funnel that information up when it's needed, and um, just a, just a huge part. I agree with you that um, keeping your players healthy and on the floor and improving them athletically is is, is such an underrated part of um, of managing a, a roster in any sport, not just basketball. I know I know um, a lot of the scout people who might be hearing this are going to be like, "Come on, man, stop with all these." you know, NBL questions, we don't care about them. And, but I do have one other question and we'll get to them. Uh, but I, I do have one other, one other NBL question, which I think is, is, is uh, you can offer some, some very, very valuable insight. Um, 
we see it from afar as as sort of an emerging league. Um, just wondering, how do you think it's being marketed and being led? You know, you observed it from afar. You you knew it a little bit as well, just from being Australian and having connections to it. Um, and and now you're a part of it. Now you're seeing it up close. And then also, um, you have the extra lens of of being of having been part of the NBA and its marketing machine. So, so how do you think the NBL is doing in, you know, and, you know, and we're seeing, you know, young players because they see that that's an avenue to go to the NBA instead of college, whatnot. So in general, what do you think about how the NBL is doing in marketing itself to become a bigger and better lead league? Yeah. I mean, to, to answer, yeah, to answer the question in a nutshell, I think they market the league fantastically well. Um, and I think that's evident with all of their, all of the content on their socials, um, the, the, the multiple ways they get games on, whether it's free-to-air TV in Australia, ESPN, KO Sports, every game's live on YouTube if you're, if you're outside of Australia or New Zealand. Um, their Twitter, um, Instagram feeds. I mean, every team does a fantastic job as well. So in terms of marketing the league, I mean, outside of the NBA, I don't think there's a better league that does it the way the NBL does. Um, so I think credit to Larry Kesselman and Jeremy Lolliger and, and all the guys at the NBL, they've done a fantastic job with that. Um, I would say it, 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 it is interesting people outside of Australia that didn't really know about it until the last four or five years when these next stars started coming out of here and they marketed it well. Like Australia has been, the NBL has been a very good league for the last 40 years. Um, back in the nineties, early nineties, when I was first getting into basketball, I mean, it was a, it was a huge sport in Australia. They were getting 16,000 people to games in Melbourne consistently, you know, the Andrew Gaze era, um, when he was with the Melbourne Tigers and, and so forth. And, you know, Brett Brown and Brian Gorgian, who's still coaching in the league, just coached Australia to the bronze medal, uh, at the Olympics. Uh, and actually, you know, we played his Illawarra Hawks last night. He's still coaching, but um, the league's the league's been a fantastically competitive league for, for for multiple years. It's just that Europe and America never really um, looked at it like that. Um, and I guess I was fortunate. I grew up here. I saw it, and then I went to college. I coached in Europe, so I've seen those leagues. I got to scout throughout Europe full time for two years, and then you know being US based, but also covering internationally with the Sixers the last five. Like I've 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 been very fortunate. I've seen basketball in all four corners of the globe and the NBL is right up there. Now, financially, they can't compete with the top EuroLeague clubs, but in terms of everything else, it's right there. And I think you go back to, we talked about the sports science, the professionalism of the clubs, um, the fact it's in Australia, in a safe country, it's English speaking, it's played in summer. Like the attractiveness for players to come down here is, is really high. And I think you see it with players that re-sign year after year because they just don't want to leave Australia. They've played in Europe. They've played in South America. They've gone to Asia. The money might be a little better. Australia's catching up on that, but the money might be a bit better. But the lifestyle and the holistic experience is um, is right there. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm biased. I am Australian. I'm working in the league. So for sure, I think it's fantastic and it is, but there's still so many ways it can grow for sure. But what they've done in the last four to five years to market it and get the product back to a, um, to, to a level that eyeballs are on the league. You know, we finally have a TV deal that, that hasn't been the case in the past. You know, teams are going to 
teams are going to get benefits from financially from from TV uh, deals coming back into the league, which has never been the case. So that's only going to help teams become stronger and more competitive. So, um, yeah, no, the league's in a very good place. Obviously, challenges the last two years with COVID, it's, it's, it's not easy. You've got a team in the New Zealand Breakers that haven't played a game in Auckland and won't for two seasons. They've had to be based in Australia for two years, which is, I mean, when you think about that, just from a business perspective is extremely difficult. But then you think about it just from a mental well-being perspective of the staff and players that are going through that. It's just nearly unfathomable to think about. And credit to them and the league for keeping this thing on the right track through all of these challenges. So let, let's uh, move over to the your your past. Uh, you had uh, you know obviously um, you know you you rose of the ranks uh, in the in the scouting world, and I think that's what a lot of people are going to be interested in hearing. Um, you know things have changed and we can kind of talk about some of the things and how they've changed and whatnot, but, but maybe for all of those young guys out there who are, you know, staying up late, you know, pouring in games uh, on their, on their computers, uh, trying to, you know, develop uh, ways to analyze players, uh, everything else, you know, with the goal of becoming an NBA scout, which you were, and, you know, you, uh, you know, you fought your way up. What, what are, what are maybe some, what's some advice that you would give some of those young guys, you know, in their, you know, in their office at home, you know, busting their butt, trying to watch as many games and try to, you know, formulate, uh, you know, opinions and, and, and figuring out how, you know, how players develop and whatnot. What, what, what's some advice that you would give them knowing from your past and, 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 and the experience that you uh, had at the higher levels then as well? Yeah. Um, there's probably a couple of things I would say. I think firstly, um, takes a long time. Like you got to put in the years, the hours, the weeks, hours, days, weeks, years. Um, and you need to have a combination of watching a lot of film and then seeing guys live and continuously, I guess, evaluating your evaluation. So like the first year you're doing this, you have a passion for it. You're studying players, you're watching guys, you're trying to project how they can reach different levels, whether it is the NBA or whether it's uh, a young European kid getting to the ACB and then getting up to a Euro Cup, then a EuroLeague team, like, and following trends of like, well, this is how I evaluated this player and this is how I projected him. Why did he fail? And go back through your evaluation and your notes and, and, and why he failed and then learn from that on the next one. Um, and it's, it's such a tricky it's an inexact science. There's no right or wrong to start with. Obviously, you can judge a player three, four, five years into his career, but trying to do anything different than that is um, you're just kidding yourself because everyone has a different trajectory, growth path. You know, guys develop at different rates. Guys are in a program or a, a club that maybe doesn't fit them, and then they change organization or country and go to a different league, and they look way different. So um, you just got to keep an open mind um to it all um and and the other thing is look back through i mean i guess i'm on this podcast talking to you for a reason but like you can go back through my career and like look at look at how i got to where i am now and then you look at 10 other people and everyone's different like there's no linear path of like if you do this 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 is this you're going to get to be this in the nba i mean nba scout it's just not it's just not how it works and so a lot of that 
is relationships. And uh, Dave, you're one of the best in Europe. You've got relationships all over the continent uh, and globally, and, and you stay in touch with people fantastically well. I think that's huge. Like just being a, a genuinely good person that is interested in other people and is willing to be open and share what you can and help people and, and it'll come back tenfold. And that's not just, I don't think that's just uh, for the scouting. If you're trying to get scouting, I think that's just in general, just be a good person uh, in general and, and good things usually happen to you. And you never know when that will be, but um, it usually comes back, back around. So um, yeah, I would say those things like being really patient, um, trying to continue to evolve your evaluations and, 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 and look for different patterns in, in players and, and trajectory um, of how players are progressing through their careers and what that can tell you about the next crop of players you're projecting. Um, and then obviously, like I said, the network, the network is huge. Like um, a lot about it is it's not who, you know, it's who knows you a lot of the time. So when jobs open, they're not, they're not getting posted on LinkedIn. They're not getting posted on Twitter or apply for this job. And this is all not just MBA, but international. You, you got to know the people that are hiring for those positions when they become open. Um, and so understanding the market, being connected through agents, scouts, coaches, GMs, sport directors, there's just a whole, it's just a whole industry and it's, um, there's no real clear path, but uh, once you're in it and you, and you start uh, getting more and more involved and opportunities happen, um, grab them with two hands, you never know where an opportunity will lead you and um, usually good things come of that. Um. You mentioned you mentioned uh, you know seeing guys with your own eyes. Uh, for for those uh, for those who, who who might not be aware of it, maybe maybe some of the biggest differences uh, between scouting a player on video or going to a game or going to a practice and seeing him with your own eyes live in a gym, and then you can kind of connect that with how difficult all of the the games behind closed doors because of COVID has, has uh, added that as a, as a, as an extra challenge. Yeah, no, the COVID, the COVID challenge was real, obviously when it shut down and we were all off the road when I was still in the U S uh, with Philadelphia um, challenging, like all of the 2020, 2021 college season, we didn't see a game live. And so um, there's advantages. And I think we learned a lot through that, that probably we over-traveled and traveled too much as opposed to maybe a more of a balance of watching guys live to one to two times and then studying them a lot on film, obviously with video platforms like Synergy and Huddle and all these, all these things that you can um, get way more value uh, and be way more efficient and <laughs> be way more efficient with your time, especially uh, watching film and, and get a lot more out of it. Um, but still balancing that with, I need to see these guys in person live just to gauge their physical characteristics. Um, I think you get a great sense for a player when you go to a game two hours early before tip off and you see how, what they're doing, working out before the game, what they're doing with their coaches. Are they actually working out before a game? Are they taking care of their body? Are they getting up extra shots? How are they getting up extra shots? Um, are they going at game speed, game tempo? Are they just going through the motions? Are they are they messing around with teammates or are they focused? And these are all things you can't see because obviously the games you get on tape just start usually from the tip, right? So another part of that is engaging with the coaching staff and the, the staff, the you know support staff and the GM and the support director of those clubs where you can gain invaluable information 
pre and post game when you're meeting with those people and um, talking about the player or the players that you, you've gone there to uh, to scout uh, live. So, and just that again, going back to it is is the relationship building of it. So you that'll that'll never go away. I don't think. Like obviously, you you have to build relationships in this business, just like many most business in 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 the world. Like relationships, really, people value that. Um, and so I think the travel component, a lot of it is that, is getting Intel live and being around people. They're going to open up to you more as opposed to when you're on a phone, especially if you don't have a pre-existing relationship with them. Um, but I think what we learned through COVID was you don't have to travel live for every single game. And I think definitely I know myself early on in my career, I mean, ridiculous looking back the amount of games I would travel to live when you probably could have just gone and watched it on film and just seen that team once, maybe twice during the season. So, um, you know, everyone has their own um, opinion on that as well. I think it is changing in, in that direction. That, that that's, that's my feel about it. Um, but um, yeah, there's, there's value to both for sure, but you also got to look at the financial and time invested in, in traveling and kind of get a balance of like what actually makes sense. And, and when we say game, there's so many definitions for that. Um, there's the club's second team where the guy can play as a leader. There's this club senior team where he might be a minor role player. There's the national team, the youth, where, uh, where he's playing up a year, two years even, and how he plays there, then how he plays in his generation, what kind of role he might have with the senior national team. So how, how, do you, how did you, how do you... And how do other scouts judge, rate, evaluate uh, the the different roles that these players play? Yes, that's a fantastic question, um, and that's it, it's a crucial one, especially. Yeah, I would obviously with the with, with the guys that are draft eligible, like these guys, like yeah, like you said, some of them aren't aren't playing a lot with their professional team because that's a results driven you know, uh, business, right? If they're playing in the top division in their country, in, in, in the top league, like their coaches, their GMs are based on wins and losses and that's their livelihood on the line. Um, but then they get a chance to go play for their national underage team at the under 18 European Championships or the under 17 World Cup. Um, you know, some of them might get selected to the Nike Hoop Summit or, or some of these sort of um, uh, environments and atmospheres where you can go and, get a better look at them in a different environment and see how they stack up against players, whether they're the same age, whether they're older, but, you know, similar type level of talent uh, and maybe potential. And so that's extremely important, seeing how guys play in different environments against different level of players and whether they let off when they play, you know, maybe, maybe they're pretty good in their pro league early on. Um, and then they let off when they go to the under 18 or under 20 European championships and aren't, the um, aren't as impactful as you would hope them as you would hope that would be given the experience they've had. So I think all of that plays into it. Like the, the evaluation of a, for example, a draft prospect or a free agent prospect is, is such a holistic thing. You know, there's, there's if, you, if you look at a pie, there's just so many, so many pieces of that pie that you have to go over. And one of them is obviously the playing evaluation. And part of that is everywhere they played, looking at every single game statistic league they've played in and trying to get a sense of like who this player is um what their what their potential elite nba skill is or skills and kind of where their where their upside is what how do you project them to playing at that next level and so um 
yeah, no, definitely. There's um, definitely seeing all of the environments they play in is 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 very very important because otherwise you can really miss on guys. Uh, age old debate, and I would just like to hear your stance or idea on it. Big club uh, and practicing every day with star veterans versus smaller club and getting time to make your mistakes. You could say the same thing, you know, big college, Kentucky Duke, and not really playing, but playing against future NBA guys or playing and getting all the time at a smaller-ish, let's call it, college in the United States. From your practice, you know, seeing guys, evaluating guys who also do make it to the next level or don't make it to the next level. Um, I, I know it's not a, you know, you know, you know, 100% certainty if you go to a bigger club and don't play as much, you're not going to be successful. But what, what's your, what's your take on, on the debate? Yeah. Wow. Um, oh, because it's big, it's, it's big in, yeah. in the U S you know, we like, yeah. you know, the kid wants to go to Kentucky, uh, kid yep. wants to play at Fenerbahce or, you know, whatever, but he might be better off playing at, you know, Pina Kashiaka where he can play he might be better off playing at Davidson where he can play. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. If it, Great question. Uh, if I have to pick a side or, or a path for a player to go down, it, for, for me, it's for sure at the best competition. So so if you're talking, yeah, Fenerbahce, Kentucky, like as opposed to Kashiaka, Davidson, like you said. So for me, it's it's the better competition. But then you got to look at how is he doing at that level. And if it's not working and he's not improving at the rate you hope he would, then you got to look at placing him at a in a situation that he can get the most reps um at so he can become that you know kind of just um improve his game because there is i guess there's a there would be a line where if they can't cross that line at that you know high level then um their their development curve is going to stall and it's going to plateau and then you got to get them into that lower division whether it's like you know going from bundesliga to pro a just to get minutes and reps and and confidence and rhythm and just get them playing at a level where you can kind of see the improvement because if they're just sitting as a 12th man on a bench and not playing on a really good team that's winning, you know, your domestic league and, you know, going to the EuroLeague final four, fantastic experience, but if they're not hitting a court, it's pretty tough. And now you look at all these top European clubs, like they're playing 80, 90 games a season. So like there's not even the amount of practice time as there used to be. So that's another factor to put into it. Like how, what are they doing at practice? Uh, post-practice, pre-practice to get better. Um, and if there's not enough time because they're just constantly traveling because there's two to three games a week, which there is in a lot of these clubs now, um, they might be better off being loaned off to a smaller club um, or going to a mid-major or a low-major school as opposed to getting stuck, um, you know, stuck um, it, out of a deep rotation at an SEC school. So, um, yeah, I guess that's my my take on that. Sure. Uh biggest challenge of scouting Europeans, I guess you even say, no, let's stick with Europeans because it, it um, Europeans, internationals, but you know, it's more European question, I guess. Um, and, and biggest challenge of, of scouting Europeans and how they will translate to the NBA game. I, I think to assert, I think to, to uh, uh, I think one of them would definitely be athleticism, especially if they play at like the youth level of their country and they don't really excel athletically, that could be a major red flag. Um, maybe just, you know, challenge of scouting Europeans and how they might translate to the NBA game. 
Yeah. Um, so that was my um, introduction into scouting, wasn't it? So I, I moved to Berlin, Germany when I first joined the Sixers and had spent two years uh, evaluating mostly European. It was international, global, but like you said, probably 80% of the draft prospects are coming out of Europe. Uh, maybe that's getting a little bit less now with, with Australia and, and even Africa and, and, and all of that coming into the, into the fold. But um, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, there's a, it's just a different game. And in some aspects, it's a different sport, the way it's played with FIBA rules, um, a lot more skill-based um, over in Europe, as opposed to the, as opposed to college and high school where, you know, the, there are uh, played a faster tempo, um, not as skill-based. It's more based on individualism, athleticism, one-on-one um, -on -one type play where Europe and FIBA in general, including Australia, is, is a lot more of a team, team type setting where guys are taught to play within a system. Uh, and obviously at some point within the system, um, you know, there's a, there's a chance to use your athleticism and, and, and your individual talents to impact it in uh, games in a positive way, whether it's defensively or offensively. But um, yeah, I mean, probably the athleticism uh, component and how does that translate to the American game if they haven't played over there yet in any setting. And then the other part is just gauging the, the, the league they're playing at, the level they're playing at, and they might be putting up fantastic numbers in a certain league, but how does that, how historically has that translated for potential draft picks? Um, you know, the Adriatic League uh, in, the, in, in the Balkan region is, is, is a fantastic example of um, producing multiple draft picks every year, um, but it's a league that's definitely, yeah, not as athletic as maybe or as fast as maybe Spain or, or as athletic as France for sure. Um, but they play so hard and they're smart and gritty and tough and they're just a different different type of player. And so, yeah, it's 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 all case by case basis with 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 everything over there. But and the longer you're in it, the better feel you get for each league and what a guy's doing. If he's you know guys get flagged analytically for putting up you know certain types of statistics by your analytics group, and you start going through his film, and you start to see like, oh, okay, I can see why he's putting up these numbers because of X, Y, Z, and this is what this guy did three years ago, and we thought he was this, but he didn't pan out because of this. So, yeah, I think it's a case of like um, really studying the guys and where they're playing um, is probably the most important thing. So you were uh, you're listed as a collaborator uh, with Euro Hopes, um, and uh, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to talk to anybody about this website because all the all the guys that are on it um, and it's passed are are or so many of those guys have come into uh, have turned into uh, NBA scouts, Marty Artigas uh, with the Magic. Uh, Rafa with uh, Rafa uh, with, with uh, Denver, uh, Alcaraz uh, scouting director uh, with uh, with Barcelona. You have Francesco Cavalli with uh, with the Wizards, Golden State, uh, with Alberto Robadillo just came uh, over there, uh, and uh, you know I mean there's more. So um, what does um, what 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 can you tell us about this website that's been able that it's been able to produce so many guys that have made it to the NBA? You know, this is I think we can almost say that this is kind of like the Kentucky of <laughs> of of international scout reporting. You know, as far as sending guys to the NBA, what are your thoughts on the Euro hopes? <laughs> um, 
Well, first off, yeah. I mean, when I was first coach, <clears throat> I um, first coaching in Italy and um, I did my first, you know, I went to my first international under 16 tournament that was in Sicily where I was. It was in the south at, in um, Ragusa. And it, I think it was Spain, Italy, France, and Germany. I think you're playing a four-nation four tournament around Easter. And that's when I first started writing some reports. And I just uh, happened to stumble across that website. And I think it was Marty and Rafael that were kind of running it. And I sent them and said, hey, just, you know, some reports, love some feedback. And, um, yeah, that started a collaboration with those guys. Um, and I didn't really write much at all past that for the or, – or even at all for, for the website. But um, the guys – all of those names you mentioned, uh, one, um, yeah, like you said, they've had their start there and just fantastic young, um, passionate people that wanted to get a foot in the door. And um, I guess with the age of the internet and social media, like that's that's an avenue to get your work out in the, uh, in the open market. And so um, now for guys, you know, they can go and watch games and, and put their reports on Twitter or wherever they want to do it on websites and, and they have services for colleges and, and pro teams and, and the team subscribe to it. And um, it's a way for them to, to, to start a career, which is obviously not very financially lucrative to start with, but it's more of a, um, a way to um, get your foot in the door and have people notice your work and, and, and you start to meet people within the business. And, and you look at guys like Marty, obviously is doing fantastic things at Orlando and, and Raf at Denver has obviously had incredible success with that program. And are just two really, really high level people and have worked their way in this business to look back now. I mean, that's, we're talking, we're talking over 10 years ago now and to see where those guys are at and what they're doing. Uh, you would never, I would never have imagined that 10 years ago, but I guess that's the, uh, that's the cool thing about life is um, you just don't know what's going to come around that next corner. And um, these guys have worked for everything they've got. And it's really cool to see them still in the business. Uh, you know, we had another one, Kevin Anstead, that's worked with, worked with us. We were lucky enough to get him at Philadelphia uh, about three years ago. Uh, he's another guy that's um, just, yeah, there's, there's a lot of these guys globally that are doing fantastic things in scouting. And it's, it's cool to see them getting rewarded, being employed by NBA, NBA and European clubs. So, I mean, obviously they, they do, but, but maybe um, NBA personal people, scouts, uh, NBA scouts, et cetera, um, you know, how much, you know, do they read, you know, scouting sites like Eurohoops, there's ID Prospects, Pro Insights, you know, there's, there's a series of them out there. Um, how, how much do they read them? How, and, and maybe how much do they value them? And, 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 how, does that va and how does that value actually come? I mean, how, how do, I mean, I imagine it's, you know, they read the report and, and he is exactly how he was or he wasn't. And, and I mean, that's probably how they how they they value the, or how they get their reputation and, and the value of that of the of the service. But in yeah, no, good question. Um, obviously, every individual, every team is different and how they would um, manage that sort of information flow. Um, I think as an NBA team or an NBA scout or a front office, you'd be silly not to at least follow and see what names these sort of type of sites are um, flagging that are, you know, potential prospects and they've seen them at different events and things like that. And they have small scouting blurbs and about what they've seen. So I think for one, that's probably the most um, benefit. That's the best benefit. Sorry. You can get out of that. Um, you know, scouting it is an opinion. Like you write a scouting report, that's your own opinion and projection on that player, whether it's right or wrong, that's, you know, 
it's subjective, right? So, um, but finding the names of um, of potential prospects that maybe you haven't come across, maybe it's in a different market to where you've been, or even you know a tournament that you couldn't get to because you were somewhere else or in the states for meetings and you couldn't be at this AENGT um and someone else was there and, and they flagged the top 10 players and you, you can kind of read their work and, and all of that and then part of that is like reading their work and liking guys um how they're presenting work and then reaching out to them and connecting with them and then the next time you're in their area wherever they live then you meet up and you start a relationship that way and so many ways to look at it but um yeah i mean nba teams employ scouts and directors of scouting and assistant GMs for a reason because they're the ones they're taking evaluations off of and ranking players for the draft and free agency. So you, I don't think uh, in general you're taking their work, but I think you're just finding more information and scouting and the front office is all about information and finding good quality information on players. And um, I think you search high and low for that. You have to find an advantage. There's 29 other NBA teams that are, doing the same thing you are trying to find the best prospects in the world and how do you separate yourself? And I think that's the way you can manage those, that the, the new age social media uh, scouting services is uh, if you can do that well and efficiently, then I think you definitely have an advantage. I, I don't, I, I know this is going to, I, I know I'm going to present the prop. Pre, I'm going to present this as a, as a, you know, white or black, uh, 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 question, but it, it, I know it's, and I know the answer is not, it's neither. Um, mm. But, you know, you look at, you know, there's virtual Scott school, scout school, where, you know, it's a 12 month online course, you know, where they, you know, teach you how, how to evaluate talents, how front office works, etc. cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, there's so many people who, you know, want to get into the business. Uh, so the question to you is, uh, and maybe comparing to how you kind of began, do you think it's easier or harder to be a scout right now? Oh, great question. Um, I wouldn't say it's easier or harder. I would just say there's, I would say there's more avenues now to, 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 to get a foot in the door and to, to connect with people. Uh, obviously you got so many social media platforms that you can find people on uh, and connect with them and try to, you know, start a relationship and, and send work to work samples and just try to um, try to learn from people that are already in, in the business and are where you want to be. So I think, I, th I think that's probably the, the, the biggest difference is as, uh, as the world develops and you, there's all these, you know, the world's such a connected place. Now it's so easy to find someone, uh, you know, whether it's not their number, but, you know, you're talking about social social media and LinkedIn and email addresses and all those sort of things. So, um, yeah, I would say it's easier, um, but it's still still a relationship business. And so if you're really trying to get a foot in the door, you have to meet people. And meeting people doesn't mean just connecting on social and, and chatting away um, online. It's literally investing in your career and yourself and traveling to events, um, going to meet people in person, being very inquisitive and um, persistent in contacting people and, and all those sort of things to try and create relationships. And it's um, those meaningful relationships take years. It's not, I think there's some people that get into the business and think it, you know, take a year or two when they're, and they've made it and they're going to be in an NBA front office, but 
that stuff takes years to, to build up. And, um, you know, there's just so, so many people trying to get to that level and get to get their foot in the door that it's very competitive. So how do you set yourself apart from those other 500 people that are all trying to get that one, you know, basketball operations assistant position at, you know, Team X? So... And another thing that's, that's different about you than, than, than other people, I think, is also that, you know, you spent time in Europe and then you also spent time uh, scouting college basketball. And, and for those who, you know, who, those, you know, scouts in Europe, you know, they don't really concentrate that much on, on the college game because they're further away from it and they don't have the connection to it. They don't have the, necess- the necessity to be connected to it for their clientele, mm-hmm. whatnot. Uh, so the biggest difference that you see in, in scouting college basketball and European slash international basketball. Yeah. Like, like you said, I've had a uh, very fortunate um, opportunities to yeah be global, um, do both college, um, do international, actually be based internationally, not just travel from the States to do it. And then, you know, and, and grow up internationally in Australia. And so, uh, and, and, and be in Europe and in the States for those times. So, yeah, I guess, I guess my, um, my uh the way i see the game has has evolved because of all those experiences um but the biggest difference between the collegiate game and how you evaluate guys to europe is probably um obviously we've got a lot more data and i guess proof of pathway of guys from college that have hit and 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 failed and so um that that definitely helps in terms of historical data and and just just, just guys from, you know, going back to the 1970s through to now, like, you know, you've got scattering reports, you know, back that far and, and guys that have been, been in college at different programs and have hit and different profiles of players that have either been um, projected to be really high picks and didn't hit and things like that. So I think that helps in terms of the college evaluation is you feel a lot more comfortable with where these guys have played in the programs and the coaches they've played under just because it's more familiar, which isn't right or wrong, but it's, but it's, I think it's true. Um, and then obviously there's so many more variables overseas with, again, like we talked about the, the FIBA rules is completely different uh, to the NBA as is college, but FIBA more so um, the, the different style of game in whatever region of the world they're playing in the different style of coaching culturally language barrier, all those sort of things. Um, but yeah, for me, I think studying college players, I think obviously we talked about the athleticism component and how quickly that game is played up and down and just the way those guys have been uh, trained from a young age to play athletically, um, which probably is more suited to the NBA, although you are seeing the trend of it becoming a lot more school-based, uh, system-based in the NBA, which which definitely leads to the international game. And I think you've seen that. You've got 25% of the NBA is born, born outside of the United States and uh, you got countries like France, uh, Spain, uh, Australia, Canada uh, that, you know, obviously you've had the, the Serbia and Croatia and Lithuania. They've always been pretty dominant, but um, you've just got players that all over that are now becoming hybrids of that. You know, they're becoming more athletic overseas. And then a lot of them are coming through the college ranks too, right? So then you get a hybrid of, you know, a kid that's growing up in Australia, for example, and has then gone over to college and played a couple of years and has the best of both worlds. And then, um, and then he's in the NBA. Um, so, um, yeah, two completely different evals. But, um, yeah, definitely those would be the biggest differences. Uh, 
slowly wrapping up because uh, uh, even though I would love to keep chatting and, and uh, but obviously there's, you know, uh, so you, you actually way, way back in, in uh, I think it was 2002, if I'm not mistaken, you went to the Australian Institute of Sports. Um, obviously it's now called the center of excellence and there's the NBA global Academy, uh, that's, yep. you know, connected to that. Maybe just the, how, how the AISC, COE, you know, global Academy has sort of changed, you know, I mean, and, you know, obviously it's not just the name, you know, there's, but maybe talk about how, how, how it has sort of de developed. Yeah, I mean, I think when you talk about the history of kind of Australian basketball, it all goes back to that in terms of wh where the program, the Australian senior men's program is now being ranked third in the world. I guess you can even say all, almost all of sports in Australia, right? <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, yeah, but um, yeah, exactly. Obviously, but we're talking about basketball, so that I didn't, I didn't, but but it, but but it, but it's truly Australian Institute of Sports. I mean, you know, legends. Yeah. You know, uh, who's the swimmer? Uh, God. Oh, like Ian Thorpe, 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 um, yeah. Thorpe. you know, the yeah, tennis, exactly. the tennis, uh, yeah, there was the, God, what, the, weren't they brothers or they were B guys? There were names with B, weren't they? Anyhow, sorry. Keep going. Sorry. No, no you're right. Like um, it, it's called the Australian Institute. It was called, well, it still is, but um, for that reason is because it was an Institute of sport for national level athletes. And when that, um, I think it was after the 76, Montreal, 76, 76 Olympics, Olympics, right. Montreal Olympics. Yep. Where you guys Australia crashed. <laughs> yeah, they had a poor performance and that was put on the government of like, hey, how do we make Australia a sporting powerhouse? And that was built in the nation's capital. So Canberra, a huge campus for the, especially, you know, for, for, for its age, you know, back then in the 80s, it was pretty, uh, pretty impressive facility. And it's obviously aged since then. And it's been remodeled a little bit, but um, <clears throat> basketball was an, an, uh, an original sport from what I remember. I was at least, at least very close to being one of the first sports there. And um you look at the players that have gone through that program, just talking about basketball now, basketball through to Australia winning a bronze at the 2021 Games. That, that was always the goal, was producing senior male and female players to win Olympic medals. And they finally did it. In men, they've done it in women for multiple years. Um, mm -hmm. Credit to them. They were way ahead of their time compared to the men. But um, And that's the combination of all of this um, hard work going into the sports science, the strength and conditioning, the on-court development, going through multiple coaches. And like you said, I was super fortunate. That was that's a dream, that was always a dream of young kids my age and still is of that you want to get a scholarship to the Australian Institute of Sport to go continue your basketball career and get to that next level. And so when I got there, it was um, unbelievable, like unbelievable experience for me. Um, you know, Andrew Bogut, that was his first year there. Alex Marich, Daniel Kickett. Kickert. Kicker, yeah. Mar Martin. Yeah. yeah, Damian Martin, Stephen Markovic. Uh, we had a bunch of players um, come through there. That, not that's at the And then after me, I mean, obviously, it's it's well documented with the Ingalls, Mills, Baines, all these guys that have gone on to lead Australia to the height it's at now. And it's, it's, it's a credit to all the coaches. And the one staple that I'll point out from, from my time, who was an assistant, Marty Clark, and is still there now. He's the um, head of the NBA Global Academy. Um, his hand in the development of Australian basketball uh, is unbelievable. And uh, he's still there now developing players. And, you know, Josh Giddy's the, the latest example. Mm. Now you've got Dyson Daniels and uh, that's going to get drafted this year. You've got uh, multiple other kids coming through there that are prospects. Um, and it's, it's just a, it's, it's a thing. Again, it's, it's like if people wanted results back then uh, immediately, it wasn't going to happen, but now you're talking 40 years after it was, 
done and they finally reached the their goal and now it's now it's the challenge of sustaining that and so now you've got um the investment from the nba in there so you've got a a kind of two groups of players so you've got the australian uh, basketball australia center of excellence group and then you have the nba global academy and they're very aligned um and and work closely and practice together although there's two separate groups um and then you've got the you know the ability to bring in guys from all over the world into the global academy which is like Awesome. And so what they're doing down there is, is uh, at a very, very high level. Um, and it's, it's, it's a massive reason why Australia's um, always batted above their average um, in juniors. And then obviously now with, with the senior men for a population of 25 million, like Australia does fantastically well in, in basketball. Um, and it's, it's, it's a credit to, to all of the people that have put their time in and all the athletes that have come through those pathways to, to, to see where the game is at now in this country. It's, uh, it, it's pretty cool. You mentioned juniors and you mentioned Andrew Bogut and one of my first international, one of my first experiences in international youth basketball was the 19, uh, was the 2003 under 19 world championship. I wasn't, I wasn't there, uh, but, but Bogut was, I mean, you have to say absolutely insane 39 and 25 in the semifinals against Croatia um, and 35 and 14 against Lithuania in the final. I have videotapes of those two games for whatever <laughs> reason. Um, you were part of the under 18 team the previous summer, also at the, uh, at the uh, Albert Schweitzer in Germany, as you mentioned. But question for you then is, is how good was, a young, was the young Andrew Bogut? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. <laughs> um, so the, yeah, so, so uh, the year I went to the Stranger Sport, we would all get there in late January, uh, late January onto campus in Canberra. And that was Andrew's first year outside of Melbourne into that, into the AIS. Um, and you could just tell from day one, he was still only 6'9", 6'10", so he still few, grew a few inches then. But you could tell from day dot uh, that like this kid was different. Uh, he had, he was really talented and freakishly long and athletic and just coordinated for his age and had just had a fiery streak in him. And the one thing I do remember is just always walking through the gym. There's four courts there. Um, and like, he still had to go to school cause he was uh, still finishing his school there. And he was just in the gym consistently. Like just, you could just tell there was a work ethic, a desire just to get better and be the best. And um, so that was 2002. And to think that in three years time, he was going to be the number one pick in the draft. Um, mm. You would never have thought that then, but I guess looking back um, at it, um, yeah, I I should have guessed that he would have been something elite uh, at that level. But to to think of it then um, was 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 pretty surreal to see him uh, get drafted number one and to see the NBA career he had and and what he did for Australian basketball and and his commitment to the Australian program. Like, you know, he you know, that's a big commitment to play NBA seasons and then come back and spend your summers for zero dollars to go and compete for your country and to see what that boomers culture has grown into the pride those guys take. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the 2019 world cup um, uh, program uh, when we went to China. And uh, actually that's where where we last met Dave or one of the last in, um, in Shenzhen, China, when we sat down and had coffee there. And um, that's right. I totally forgot that about that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, talk Chinese hoops. Wow. (laughs) We did. I know. And uh yeah, and, and just to see like that's twenty that was twenty nineteen to to mm. see Andrew firsthand twenty twenty sorry two thousand two to then seventeen years later to see the career and what he did I mean unbelievable so um, full credit to him he was the one he was completely self made player um, and just an elite competitor 
Um, but yeah, pretty, pretty cool. And that's just one story out of multiple now that are in the NBA, you know, from, from that same Academy. Yep. I have only two more questions because I mean, we both have things and, 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 uh, like I said, I would love to keep chatting, but, but so, um, close to you, the last two questions, first of all, um, you know, you, you, uh, you guys have uh, Luke Travers, um, who, you know, you even said, you know, uh, we're all invested in trying to have him reach his potential, which we think is the NBA, um, thoughts about maybe what he, what he's, you know, what he can do, what he's, where he's at and, and maybe what you, you know, what you have, what you're working when, with, what you're working with him on to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to progress. Yeah. So, um, first of all, Luke's a fantastic young man. Um, it's been incredible, obviously seeing him from outside the program the last few years as a, you know, when I was scouting for Philly and just getting a sense of like how talented the kid was and talking to people about him, you know, he's one of the up and coming prospects from Australia and then actually getting to be the GM of the team he's playing for and be around him day to day has, has been really exciting. Um, clearly an elite talent um, has NBA size um, at the, at, at the, at the wing position, uh, incredibly skilled, has a great feel for the game, um, but still developing. Like, I mean, he's still going to continue filling out his frame. He's got, he's got NBA strength and, and, and he'll for sure be an NBA caliber athlete when he, if he, if he gets that level, um, and then just work clearly working, you know, working on his confidence, his consistency, clearly shooting is going to be a swing skill, uh, and he's working on that daily. Um, but the impact he's had so far, um, and at times it's just flashes and you want more consistency, but that's every young player. But what he's doing this season at his age in the NBL, and there's already now a um, – there's already been set a precedent, you know, of what Lamelo and RJ Hampton and Josh Giddy have done. And so the fact that he's doing similar things, not at the same level or the same um, – maybe at the, at, at the same uh, pace or whatever these guys have done um, or the same volume, I guess is probably a better way to put it. Maybe it's more just in, in he, he's obviously on a, on a really good team in, in us and he's not getting the ball in his hands as much as maybe some of these other guys did, but the way you can impact a game, both, both off the ball and on the ball defensively and then um, offensively with the way you can slash to the rim and, and grab and grow, grab and go off the defensive glass and transition and get downhill. Like he's, he's a unique talent. Um, and for sure, I mean, the world's his oyster. He can be as good as he wants to be um, if, he, if he puts the work in. And so for sure, I mean, if you're talking ceiling, it's clearly he could definitely be an NBA player. Now, how good of an NBA player he could be, I mean, that's, that's, that's a different question. But for sure, he's, he's a guy that should be um, clearly mentioned in, you know, the, the upcoming next few drafts. All right. Last question. Uh, and this, you are actually, uh, you're, you know, locked out of your state. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't go back to, uh, to, um, you can't go back to Perth right now. Uh, and uh, you, with COVID and, and, and uh, interstate uh, regulations, whatnot. Question for you is what are some of the things that, that you've done uh, for your wife over the last, let's say decade? to make up for all the time that basketball has taken away from you and your family, maybe some tips for young scouts out there with wives, partners, families as to how to, you know, make up for that, you know, make up for the lost time when you guys are back together, little tips, you know? Oh man. It, it, is my wife going to listen to this? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Jeez. Um, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I'd have to, I mean, I, yeah, first of all, I mean, thank you to her for sure. Yeah, yeah, thank you because the sacrifice she's made for me to kind of realize my dreams in this career is like, I mean, it's something I, yeah, it's, it's really hard to, to, um, to put into words how much I owe her and her ability to, to raise a family while I'm away for a lot of it. You know, I, I was talking the other day about how not, not all of, but some of taking this job was to get a different bit of a better work-life balance as well. You know, the, mm-hmm. the life of a scout in the NBA is 19, 20 days a month during the college season on the road. And we have three young kids under six. And so the amount of time I've missed from my family, um, in the last six years since Nicholas was born is when I look back, it's, it's actually, yeah, it's probably embarrassing to say it's, it's not, not ideal. It's not something I, I want, but it's just part of the profession. Um, and you try and manage that as best as you can. And so having a, having a, a partner and a, a wife and a life, uh, long friend, like that, that can understand that and, and, and take care of the day to day at home while I'm on the road. Um, yeah, I owe, owe everything. Um, and then the, the other part is like missing a lot of your kids' lives. And at the moment, like like you said, we are unfortunately, the Western Australian um, borders are still closed. Um, we're hoping that won't be the case in the next few months. But until then, we're just taking it day to day. And um, it's just, again, part of the COVID challenge. You just don't know what's what's around the corner. And you don't know if there's another variant. You don't know if borders are going to close again or there's going to be lockdowns and yeah, if, if there's um, yeah, if there's anything we've learned, I guess, is just to uh, expect the unexpected and mm-hmm. just be prepared. You got to be forward thinking and just be on top of your game because something is going to happen and you're not going to expect it. And right now, we're yeah, we have our whole team based in Hobart, Tasmania, as our training base, and then we're playing away games wherever they're at. So at the moment, we just played Illawarra last night. We're in Wollongong. We travel up to Sydney tomorrow for a game against the Kings on Sunday and. You know, next games are in Melbourne. And so, uh, um, yeah, challenges of that, you know, coaches go through it with their families and wives and definitely front office scouts that are trying to get in the business. That's a big part of understanding if this this occupation, this, um, this career path you want to go down to is for you because it is very challenging um, in terms of the family side of it. And it's not ideal. And I'm definitely trying to make that, uh, work-life balance because I'm missing a lot of my kids um, younger years uh, you know we've got a five-month-old son now and I've probably been around him for maybe three of it and missed two in a bit and it's just it's it's really it's not it's not easy but it's um it's a means to to living at the moment and so just trying to get through it as best as you can all right Danny Mills general manager of basketball operations Perth Wildcats uh, and and someone I I I I do call a friend. I I I have always enjoyed the time that we've had to uh, to chat. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for show uh, for for sharing so much uh, fantastic information for different channels as well, uh, which I also uh, appreciate. Uh, stay healthy um, and uh, yeah, good luck. Hopefully, you guys get some 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 uh, some more wins and. and I uh, got to keep that playoff streak going and, uh, and then add another championship to the club. Yeah. Thanks Dave. No. And for you, mate, thanks for having me on for one, but also, yeah, I've always appreciated your friendship with me. We've spent a lot of times on the road, whether it was in Germany or like we said, China and different world world cups together. And um, 
appreciate all you do for the for the game. You're 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 a fantastic ambassador for the game of basketball globally, and it's uh, I, I love reading your work. So it's an honor to be on your on your podcast, mate. Thanks a lot for the kind words as well, man. Take care. No worries. See you, mate.